We're in the middle of a series called Oh Brother, where we examine what's called the Epistle of James in the New Testament. And uh, for those of you unfamiliar with the Bible, the Bible is a collection of pieces of literature throughout history, and some of them are letters, and some of them are poems, and some of them are kind of government documents, and, and, uh, and what they call the Gospels, which are like historical narratives of the life of Jesus. And, and James is, is called an epistle, which means it was, it was a, a pastor of sorts who was writing a letter to a collection of people. And, and in this case, it was the prob- most likely the brother of Jesus, the, the, the biological half-brother of Jesus, uh, who, who became a pastor and a leader in the early church. And now he's writing to the Jewish people that have been scattered all throughout Asia and, and Africa um, during what they call the dispersion, which was a bunch of persecution. And so so what we, we try to take the Bible seriously here, and we try to do things a little bit different. And so during the summer, we're going through chapter by chapter, what did James say to his people? What was, what was this book about, uh, this epistle about? And today, And before we do that, before we dive into the text, I try to I try to throw in something about the scriptures. Why do we study the scripture? How do we study the scripture? What do we do when we tackle difficult passages and stuff that doesn't seem to make sense or line up with the character of God? And, and today I just, this is one of those moments, and I, and I really believe what I'm about to say, and I don't think you've heard me say things like this too often. Every now and then something will come up that's pretty important. But this is a moment that could easily pass you by. Like, like what I'm about to talk about, you could say, oh, well, that was interesting, and go on with your life and be completely unchanged. Or if you'll listen carefully and do what I'm about to describe, it can absolutely revolutionize everything. It's, it really is this, is, this is a weighty moment in my mind. And I'm, I'm also kind of working myself out of a job because I'm going to talk to you about how I approach the scriptures and how do I prepare for a sermon and how do I, how do I teach on a topic. And I'm going, to t- I'm going to give you just a handful of tools that you can use to study the scriptures and learn for yourself. I think that's, that's the job of a good pastor is to not, not just to, to preach, but to teach people how to absorb God's message for themselves. And so that's what we're going to do for the next few minutes is how do we tackle the scriptures and and what if you want to study a topic, how do you do that? So I'm going to talk about Crayola, concordances, chain reference, and centerlinears. And centerlinears is actually not even a word. I just added a C to the word interlinears because it made sense in the context. So my first encouragement to you is that you need to find a good study Bible. There, you know, you, you may have been in the in hotel rooms where you pulled a Bible out of the chest, the, out of the chest of drawers nearby or, the, or the, the nightstand nearby, and it's from the Gideons. And a lot of times those are in the King James Version, which reads a lot like Shakespeare with a lot of thous and shouts, and it doesn't speak our language. And if you try to absorb that language, you're going to have a hard time because it doesn't speak your language. It's almost, it's almost foreign to us. And, and so I encourage finding a good version in, in modern English of sorts. Uh, a lot of people use the NIV or the the, uh, the New King James gets rid of all the thousand shouts. I, I prefer the English Standard Version nowadays. There's the Amplified Version, and, and there's even paraphrased versions that I think God uses, um, like the Message and the New Living Translation. But find one that you can read that you enjoy reading. If, if you find yourself resisting the text, that's not the Bible for you. If you find that you just can't, you can't get through the, the, the lingo, find a different Bible and make it Make it an important point that you do find a Bible that you can read and you can enjoy. And I also encourage a good study Bible. And the one I'm recommending nowadays is called the Zondervan Study Bible. We give these out every time we baptize somebody, they get one. And uh, I, like, I like the Zondervan because the comments... So, so what a good study Bible will contain is, is chain reference and a good concordance, which we'll talk about in just a second. But a lot of them will have what, what's called commentary at the bottom. And so there'll be the, the text, the text as, as we understand it and has passed on through history. It'll be there. But at the bottom, it'll be a collection of scholars, or in this case, it's, it's one guy who has worked with scholars. It's, it's basically him just talking about the text. The thing I like about the Zondervan Study Bible is that he's pretty vanilla. 
He doesn't, he doesn't teach you what to believe. He, he teaches you a little bit more how to believe. And he'll, he'll comment on stuff, but he leaves a lot to your own imagination, a lot to your own understanding. Whereas there are a lot of study Bibles out there that are kind of trying to drive their particular theology home. I, I don't feel like the Zondervan study Bible does that. I, I, there's, there's really controversial passages in the Bible. There's certain passages that I flip to automatically to determine whether I like the commentary or not. And on this one, in general, when I read it, I think, man, I really like this Bible. And so I'm not, I'm not endorsing it wholly. I'm just saying, to me, this is the best study Bible that I'm using currently. And I would encourage you to get one and use it. I'd also encourage you to keep a notebook nearby. And, and when you study the Bible, so there's a difference between having our daily bread on your phone where you read a little passage of scripture every day or, or you know, you, you, you carry a Bible with you and you read, you know, one verse of the New Testament and two verses of the Old Testament. There's, there's that type of reading. And then there's, I really want to dive in. I really want to study and figure something out. I want to pick the book of James or the book of Romans. And I really want to figure out what it's saying. I would encourage you to have a study Bible open and a notebook nearby and approach it prayerfully and meditatively, if that's a word, where you're asking God, what is this text saying to me? What do you, what do you want to say to me? Because the Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures, not just to tell us a story, not just to tell us what people used to believe, but so that his message can reach us. And so I encourage you, have a, have a notebook nearby. I also encourage you to open up a box of Crayola. And this is, this is what I mean by that. Crayola, anybody have a guess how many colors of Crayola crayons there have been throughout history? Who, who wants to take a stab? Anybody? 492 is a pretty good guess. Anybody else? A thousand. Anybody else? 512. There have been 1,949 different colors with things like salmon, as a color. I mean, just there's some really odd colors out there. And this, this was by some CrayolaCollectors.com website that, that claims this is how many they've been able to document. But the nice thing is right now you can, you, can go to, uh, you can go to Hobby Lobby or you can go to Walmart and you can buy a pack of about 155 different colors. And what I like to do is I like to pick a topic. So like faithfulness, for example. And I'll write the word faithfulness in the cover of my Bible, on the inside cover. And I'll pick a color, which might be cornflower, which is a blue. And I'll highlight that, that word faithfulness. And then as I study faithfulness, then I highlight with that crayon. You, crayon is really excellent at highlighting Bibles. So normally you get like bright yellow and bright green and bright pink as your highlighters. Crayola crayons give you all these different colors that you can use, use to highlight the text. And so I'll mark every passage that has to do with faithfulness. And in a moment, I'll, I'll teach you how to, how to find those passages. But so then a year later, I've got faithfulness and love and wrath and hell and mercy, and all these different topics that I've studied out. Sexuality, I'll, I'll, I'll go through and I'll highlight them in colors, and then I can just flip through my Bible and I can find the colors again when I want to be refreshed. And it also, there, there's something about the practice of doing something diligently. There's something about like applying yourself to it and, and pushing yourself. And somehow this, it inspires me. It may not inspire you, but having all these colors and being able to highlight inspires me, and I like it. If you don't like it, don't do it. But it's what I do, and I want to encourage it. So Crayola is one. A concordance is the other, and Strong's is, is the most commonly known concordance. And what a concordance is, is a concordance is kind of a supplement to the Bible that tells you where you can find all the passages that contain a given word. So if we want to use the word faithfulness, you'll open up your concordance to the Fs, get to F-A, faithfulness, and you'll look through, and it will tell you if it's an exhaustive concordance, which is what you see there, there's, there's non-exhaustive concordances and exhaustive concordances. And an exhaustive concordance is going to contain every single time that word is represented in the Bible. So if you're wanting to study faithfulness, if that's what's on your mind, or love, or whatever the topic is, you open up your concordance to it, and now you have a list of every single time the Bible mentions that word specifically. And so concordances are an invaluable 
resource. There's an online concordance called blueletterbible.com that you could use. I prefer the paper kind. I like to have my Bible out, my notebook out, a paper kind, and you can just flip through. But blueletterbible.com is if you're wanting to find mercy, you type in mercy and it'll show you all the examples of mercy in the Bible. And of course, that gets a little bit complicated because mercy is translated from a Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek word originally. And so you're not necessarily getting the original word mercy, but you're getting the text of all the, you're, you're getting the moments in all the English versions. Um, concordance and what was my other part? Chain reference. So a good study Bible will contain what they call a chain reference. And a chain reference means it's, it's, really, it's really kind of brilliant that throughout history, all these scholars and theologians have applied countless, countless, count monks in dark caves writing by candlelight writing so that we would have the scriptures for us now. And now, people have studied it over centuries, over decades, and they've, they've come to figure out where faithfulness ties into faithfulness ideas that are not specifically mentioned. So, so here's how chain reference works. If, if I tie in faithfulness, and faithfulness sends me to a particular passage of the Bible in my concordance, then I get there, and when I have a chain reference Bible, on the side of the, pa on the, side of the text will be a reference to other passages that are similar but may not use the word faithfulness. So if you're really wanting to exhaustively study the word faithfulness, a chain reference Bible is almost necessary because you're going to get not just the passages that contain the word faithfulness, but you're going to get all the passages that line up with the passages that contain faithfulness. And you can get lost for hours. You can get lost for days. Start with the word faithfulness, go to a passage, the chain reference will send you somewhere else, that passage will send you somewhere else. And then all of a sudden, you've got this notebook filled with thoughts that God is speaking into your mind and, and using the text to give you. And you're, you become, they, they say what, you have to spend five hours on something to kind of become an expert on it. So if you spend five hours on the, on the topic of faithfulness, you're going to understand faithfulness like never before. So open up your concordance, use the chain reference, bounce back to your concordance, chain reference, and so forth. And like I said, you can go for hours and hours and really nail down the text and what it means on faithfulness. And then finally, I said centerlinear just to be goofy, but we're talking about interlinear Bibles. And what an interlinear Bible is, and I'm almost done. If this, if this part just bores you to tears, I, I recognize that you would be here today. I'm sorry. Uh, if this part fires you up, th this, this is the next level. If you really want to dive into Scripture and you really want to dive into what was God trying to say through Scripture, this is, this is the way to take it the next step. And interlinear Bibles are Bibles that contain the original language. And so if you type it, like we're, we're studying James today, if we type in James 4 interlinear into Google, it's going to bring up an interlinear Bible that's going to show you exactly how those words are parsed out in English, but in also the Greek translations that they're derived from. And so um, I'll give you an example. Last week, this was, this was the context of our, of our study of the epistle of James. And as you read it in English, this is what it says. It says, the wisdom that's from above is first purer than peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, you might read this, and it's easy to skirt through Scripture and say, okay, so you're supposed to be wise and peaceable and, and ha have good fruit in your life and be full of mercy, but, like, open to reason might stand out to you. Like, it, it, it almost feels a, a little bit off from the rest of it, but it, it might fit in, and depending on which English version you're reading, it, it would use a different word. So that, that word might strike your fancy as you're reading through the text. And what you can do is you can open up your interlinear Bible, and that, that passage open... Here, here, here's, here's a perfect example. This is an interlinear Bible, which you can't read on the projector very well. But you'll see, but 
the from above wisdom test indeed pure is the peace. So you'll see that in Greek, they don't even use the same grammatical structure that we use. But then you come upon this word, reasonable. And in, in, and in the version we just read, it said open to reason. And you'll see it's this word, epitheus, epithopa, and you don't know how to pronounce it. And the nice thing is that you can just select it, copy it, post it up in there into the search engine, right? So now you've selected the Greek text, not the English text. You've thrown it into your search engine. And now when it pops up, now all these pages come up talking about this particular word, and you don't know how to pronounce it, so you just type in how to pronounce, and here you go. There you go. We've learned how to pronounce it today. right? This is the Greek, the Greek word. And so, and I don't know how many times it's going to play through. But so you don't have to know how to pronounce it, but the point is that you're grabbing the text, you're, grab, you're grabbing the Greek word, you're throwing it into Google, and it's going to bring up some options for you. And as you study all of these pages that come up, you're going to learn a whole lot more than you, knew, than, than you learned just scanning over the text. You're, you're going to learn a whole lot more about what the original author meant, about the nuances behind the word. It's going to challenge things that you've always believed. And you're going to see that the early church believed a lot of things that maybe Western church and modern church doesn't believe. It's going to challenge you, but you're going to grow. And so what's interesting about this word that said easy, basically it said reasonable or easy to reason with, um, when you study it out, one thing you see repeated consistently is that you're easy to be entreated. And it means that you're not resistant to learning. It basically means open-minded. It means flexible or uh, submissive in your knowledge. And so you're not, it's, it's kind of the picture between these two ladies right here. One is saying, talk to the hand, don't teach me anything. I know what's best. And the other is saying, I can learn from you. I, I, I heard a preacher this week talking about great leaders You'll never be a great leader if you're resistant to constructive criticism. And that's what this word means. So when we go back to James, it says the wisdom that's from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle. Then we get to this word now that we've, we've learned in the Greek, and we see that I'm, res I'm, I'm open-minded. I'm, I'm willing to learn. I'm not resistant to somebody telling me what's wrong. And it would be easy initially to just skirt over that and say, open to reason, okay, great, that seems somewhat interesting. But when you really dive into the text and you dive into the Greek and you use an interlinear Bible, you start to learn a whole lot more and at a whole, whole new level. And so I want to encourage you, keep your Bible open, get the Crayolas, find a topic, use the chain reference, use the concordance, and really dive into what the scriptures have to say. The scriptures were given to us by God to reveal himself, and he will reveal himself through them. So what we're doing now is inviting my friend Quan Founder up. We've been doing this every week for a couple reasons. One, we're doing this, what, what they... Uh, it's, it's a different style of, of preaching. Usually I do topical preaching in here. And what we're doing now is what's called exegetical preaching, where we get into the text and we talk about the text. Instead of picking a topic like sexuality or faithfulness or money or whatever, now we're just saying, let's look at the book of James and let's see what James had to say. James, James was the brother of Jesus and became, most likely the author was the brother of Jesus and became convinced that his brother was God, which is kind of a big deal. And so we want to look into this guy's thinking and, and what did he... What did he believe? And we also get to meet neat people. Like you'll, well, Quan will introduce himself in a second. Quan works at Safe Space. Come on over here, buddy. You don't have to hide. It's good. You always take the weirdest pictures of me. Well, your Facebook page is replete with weird pictures. Oh, well, that's me. So Quan works at Safe Place and is a super guy that will introduce himself in a second. So one of the reasons is to meet new people. But then the, second, the third reason is we want to take the text of the Bible seriously. We don't want to just 
believe what we've always believed about it because mom and dad or our preacher said we should. We want to we absorb it and learn it for ourselves, but we also don't want to neglect it. We want to we have it all constantly out in front of the church. So that's what we're going to do. Quan, would you take a second and introduce yourself? Tell us about who you are and what you do. Yes. Uh, my name is Quan, founder. I work at Safe Place. I've been there for a little over 13 years. Uh, right now, I'm currently working with uh, fifth graders, helping them get ready for middle school transition, which really means I go on field trips all summer. Uh, when we're not doing that in schools in session, I work with elementary kids with an incarcerated parent, and I work with middle schoolers facing truancy issues. What do you do for fun? What I do for fun, I'm a movie fanatic, so going to a church in a movie theater was like a win-win for me. Uh, it's either that or spending time with my daughter. That's gotcha. about it. I like your shirt. I shirt my like something. Uh, sorry, yeah. that was really <laughs> stupid. Hey, so... Uh, Pretend that never happened. <laughs> All right. Take two. <laughs> okay. So this is where we ended last time. The wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, open-minded, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And he continues in, in what we're tackling today is chapter four. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. James was harsh. I mean, he, he, man, he tells it like it is. So what, what did you get out of this part of the passage? Well, I think this is part of the constructive criticism that you were just talking about, and, and the hopes are to point something out and hopefully build off of that. Um, but when I first looked over it, what I saw was that the fights and quarrels that we have with other people aren't really with other people. It seems like they're more internal mm, and have good. to do with the battles that we have within that kind of pour out into our interactions with other people. Good. I When I was reading this, I... So in, in this passage, he's talking about desire and envy a lot, and the, the, last, the last chapter ties into envy, and, and he talks about covetousness and, and that we always want something we don't have. And I think, I think Quan is nailing it exactly where it should be, is that when we find ourselves in turmoil with other people, the first place to look is here. The first place to always look is to say, where, where have I got it wrong? Or, or what, what are these desires or, or issues within me that are causing causing this friction and quarrelsome, quarrelsome relationship. And so you have, to, you have to look to yourself first. And what you'll find is that a lot of times our, our desires are messed up. Like we, as the passage goes on, we're going to find out that we're supposed to humbly submit our desires to God. And when we humbly submit our desires to God, he transforms them. And I, I think the passage would say that when your desires are transformed, when, when you humble yourself before God, you're going to see relationships improve. And it goes back to that passage we just saw where the one woman's saying, don't you dare, and the other's saying, feed me, teach me, tell, tell, give me some good stuff. And the second person, in my opinion, is going to have much better relationships than the first consistently and constantly throughout their life. You want to step over here okay. so I can see you better? I, I, something else jumped out at me. Sure, if man. you were done with your point. I'm done, man. Okay. Um, where it says you do not have because you do not ask, but when you do ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. I think that points to the fact that we know there are things that we're supposed to do and we're not supposed to do, and we know how we're supposed to behave the thing and what we're supposed to do with certain things. So I think it's saying that 
at times we don't ask because we know we're not deserving of it mm-hmm. and that we know in the back of our minds that we're not going to do the right thing with some of the things that we're asking for anyway. That's where it says that you, you might spend what you get on your own pleasure. So it's not divine. Some of the things we know, we don't ask for them because we know we're not supposed to be asking for them. Yeah, and, and one thing that I think Scripture teaches about conflict is, so Jesus turned everything on its head. You know, he said the weak become strong, the blind can see, the poor become rich, and so forth. And one of the areas that he turned on its head was in the, in the past, in the Old Testament, it was the vengeance. It was, it was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That was the law of God that came down from Moses. And he said, I, I no longer buy into that. He was saying, basically he was saying, I've never bought into that. That was just a rule. And now what I'm saying is pray for your enemies. Love those who hate you. He, said, he basically says, when somebody asks you for your coat, give them your coat and your shoes at the same time. When somebody asks you to go to mile, go two miles. And so... What you, what you see here is when you're in conflict, a lot of times you're thinking, how can I get mine? What's, what's wrong with them so that I can, you know, I, I want them to fix something so that I can get what I want. And I think what this passage would hint at is that that's, you need to reverse that. You need to start thinking about them, saying what is best for them. It doesn't necessarily mean the issue is good or shouldn't be resolved, but that the heart should be for the other person. It, it, it's, it's an other-centered mentality, not a self-centered mentality that I think Jesus consistently pushes throughout, throughout Scripture and throughout his teaching. And then when I was hellfire and brimstone, I'm not, I, I don't consider myself a hellfire and brimstone guy anymore, but this, James 4.4, 4, was the first Bible verse I ever memorized. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who becomes a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God's. And, and I used to like champion that verse as to say, and, and it used to be if you listen to secular music and go to rated R movies and and all you know, if, if you're if you're bad and you embrace sex, drugs, and rock and roll, then God hates you, and you hate God, and you need to fix yourself, right? That's how I used to read this passage, and I don't anymore. No. But it's, it's, it's like I just read. It says, "Do you think Scripture says without reason that He jealously longs for the Spirit He has caused to dwell in us, but He gives us more grace?" And it's a matter of tone. So a lot of passages, for example, there's there's a passage about divorce that says, "If you divorce, you've committed adultery," right? And if we read that as, you have divorced, you are bad, that's, that's a tone. But if we read it as just a statement of fact, it, it's, not, it's not meant to be con- condemning at all. It's not meant to be judging at all. It's just a matter of this, is, this has gotten away from the desires of God. God didn't want this for you and for your life. He, it, it's not you are bad. It's just a statement. And that's, that's how this is, I think. It says, uh, Joseph Bond preached last week, and he talked about how growing up, if his parents told him to do something, he did the exact opposite. If they said, don't touch, he touched. Don't go, he went. And he, he, said, he said that he had developed this um, friction between him and God. And that's what it's describing here, is that if you're tied in, when it, when it talks about the world, in my opinion, it's talking about that which is temporary, that which is sensual. When, when, that's your, whole, when your whole world is the here and now, and your little bubble and your little circle, it's a natural consequence that you're missing that which is transcendent. You're missing that which is eternal. And it's a matter of where your vision and your focus is. It's not God saying, you're bad, you're awful. He's saying, hey, see me. Because when you're tied up in your own world and the, and, and the little things that really matter to you, instead of seeing what's beyond those things, it's just, it's just bad. It's just, you're, you're not in the love relationship. That's why he calls it adulterous. Is you're not in that faithful, loving relationship with God that you could be. And it's not him lashing out at you. He, it's just a statement of fact. Is that you're, If you're tied up in the here and now, you're missing something important. Colin, what you got on yeah, this? No, I'm, I was along that same line where in this, I think adulterous 
just was talking about the relationship uh, that we have with God and our relationship with the world mm -hmm. and saying that tiptoeing that line can be pretty dangerous. But the part that jumped out to me was the without reason, where mm -hmm. it says, or do you think the scripture says without reason? That's like saying, hey, we've already said this before. Like, we've been talking about this. Mm -hmm. did, did, don't just gloss over that. Like, understand that, that there is a jealousy to where he longs for us. But like you said about the tone, it starts out pretty sharp. You know, if you walk in a room and say, you adulterous people, most <laughs> right. people are like, wait, wait a minute, what are you talking about? But as we get to the end, again, it, it's it's softer and is more of a of an invitation and almost a, a, a you know, just a, a longing for and, and saying, hey, this is, it can happen. Like, right. it might start out pretty harsh, but understand where I'm going. Right. And that, that part where it says, without reason, he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us is actually, it feels a little convoluted in English. And I would encourage you, open up your interlinear, interlinear Bible and study this out. And it, basically what it means is that the spirit of God has been placed in you, and now he wants that thing to come alive. It's, it's that God desires this relationship with you so deeply. He wants to be close to you. And so it, it goes from feeling pretty hellfire and brimstone to God just wants to be close to you. And then it says, and he offers more grace. When you're in that frictional part, when you're in that part quarreling and fighting with God even, it's, it says grace comes even more abundantly. And it says he, he opposes the proud. So you have, you have a choice at this point. His grace is there. His mercy is there. It's abundant. He's, he wants to place it in you. He wants to fire it up. Now you have the choice to let it happen or not. You can resist. You can say, no, 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 you're not getting me. Or you can say, yes, yes, yes. You can be the woman that says, nah, or the woman that says, teach me. And everything will change. And it says he gives grace to the humble. So when you humble yourself and you're teachable before God, he shows up and he does neat stuff, which is his goal all along. His goal is not condemnation. His right. goal is to know you, to be known by you. Juan, you want to read this to us? Yes. Uh, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Yeah. Uh, again, I think, to me, this is going to sound weird, but this is like diet doom. Like, it, it says that... I have no idea what you're talking about. I know. I'm, I'm going to see if I can get <laughs> you there. Where it's saying, like, if you, you're sinning, it's saying you can grieve, mourn, and wail. It's like, go ahead and get all that out of the way. Mm. If that, you know, if you feel like you need to do that, do that. But at some point, again, you're going to submit yourself. It would be best for you to submit yourself then to God. So it's saying, wash your hands, you sinners. So that's saying... You got a little bit of time to get yourself together. I'm okay with that. If, if you feel like you've been in a place that might lead you toward doom, like this is your invitation to something different. Gotcha. See how I did that? I do. Okay. I still. Did you say diet doom? Yeah. Like it starts out as doom, but like maybe yeah, not so it's much. It's doom light. Yeah, doom okay, light. Okay. There I'm we go. You. Gotcha. <laughs> the part that always pops out to me in this passage is where it says, "Humble yourself yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up." And so. We, many times as, as human beings, we, we visualize this God that wants to humble us and that he wants to press us down or make us lowly. That's not what this passage says at all. No. It, 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 he wants you to be humble. There's a difference between him wanting you to be humble and him wanting to humble you. His desire is not to humble you. His desire is not to bring you low. His desire is to, that you would be humble and to make you humble so that what? What does it say? He'll lift you up. 
That's the goal of God. The goal of God is not to press you down. The goal of God is not to keep you down. The goal of God is that you will be supplicant before him. Is that the right word? Yeah, because, I mean, it says yourselves, yourselves, not I'm going to make you. Right. So that's suggesting that it has to be a desire of ours. Yeah. And if you find yourself in this position of, of quarreling and fighting with others or wanting and wanting and never, never getting, this is telling you what the solution is. And honestly, he's, you're probably never going to get that thing you want. It's totally possible that that thing that is driving you that you want is, is not the thing you need at all. The scriptures say, delight yourselves in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And if, you're, if your desires are for him and he's giving you the desires of your heart, then you're getting him. And so when you humble yourself, you get more of God, which is more of grace, more of mercy, more joy. All the transcendent things we want, life, joy, and peace, come with this submission to God, this supplication before God that says, I am yours. Do what you want with me. Take, take me where you want me to go, and good stuff happens. But it may not be the stuff that right now you think is good. Right. It's, something, it's something bigger and better than that. Anything else on this while, while we're here? All right. Want to read this one to us? Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Thoughts? Uh, again, I think that the big thing is that uh, we're talking about the danger of the tongue. And in mm -hmm. a few of the chapters previous to this, we, we mentioned uh, uh, that portion of it. But I think it, it's saying that understand that we're supposed to abide by the law and we're, we're not the law. Um, you know, we, we serve under it. We do have a tendency at times to, again, judgment is hard to avoid. But again, with, 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 with patience and, and prayer and, and practice, you know, it, that's, that's a mindset. And so it's more about us making sure that our mindset is not to where we understand that we're subservient and, and have to submit to something. Like right. we're not on top of it and, and judging is not something that we should we should do or, or find any sort of pleasure in. This, pa this part of the passage confused me and continues to confuse me a little bit because some of it just doesn't make sense. The part about how if you judge your neighbor, you're judging the law. I, I, for a long time, I didn't understand that, and I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. But there's, there's two thoughts tied into it is, number one, post-Jesus. So not Old Testament law of Moses, Mount Sinai, you know, the law carved into stone, but Jesus on, Jesus gave us a new idea of what it meant for there to be law. And what, what, would, what would he teach was the only law? Anybody know? It's love. It's love. That's right. And so, so when James wrote this, he was in a system where the only law is love, right? And he's, he, but he's speaking to Jewish people who are still embracing the law. And so he's working things. He's, 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 he's been quite interesting in how he approaches this passage. But then the other idea is, who is the only judge? God, right? And so under the system of the law, whether it's old or the new, the only person who gets to make those calls right. is God. And we, we have this tendency, some of it is to, to better ourselves, to make ourselves look good, is, is if we can make other people lowly. And do you see, if the, the last passage seemed to indicate that God wants to lift you up, the devil wants to bring you down, right? That's kind of what we saw in the last passage. So when we try to bring other people down, what team are we playing? Yeah, it's, we're, we're designed to try to lift people up, to build people up. 
You know, you've, you've seen the bumper sticker, shoot them all and let God sort them out. I saw a meme recently that said, love them all and let God sort them out. Is that our only job is to love. That's our only job with people. Now, sometimes that it can be corrective. If a friend comes to me and says, hey, I've been doing this particular activity and it's destroying his life, love requires that I invest in that area, but it doesn't mean I condemn him right. or her. It, it, it doesn't mean that I make them look lowly or try to bring them down, but instead the whole process, the whole goal is to build them up, which is the goal of God. You got other thoughts? Yeah, I mean, just piggybacking off what you just said, like when we operate in that mentality, nothing about that says being humble or humility right. or any of that. So, yeah, this one kind of follows the other one. It's pretty sequential, like saying, hey, you need to be humble. And while we're talking about humility, this is part of the area where you're not showing it. I think one of the best places a believer can come to is the realization that he or she is as capable of falling as anyone else. I, I know this about myself. I know that I'm capable of a huge fall. Quan, I, 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 you probably know that about yourself. I, I, I think it's a part of humbling yourself before God. And when you come to that place where you realize, I'm capable of a huge fall, it extends mercy to other people. It's there but for the grace of God go I. And whatever circumstance other people find them in, you're not above or beyond those circumstances. Right. You, could, you could have easily been in their shoes had you walked in their shoes for the same amount of time they've walked in their shoes. And so judgment is just off the table. And what's, what's super interesting to me is we think of James, the brother of Jesus in the epistle of, of James, as one of these really harsh passages. It says, you adulterous people. But what you find underneath it all is this same gospel of mercy, this same gospel of, of lack of judgment, the same gospel of loving your enemies. Even the hardest stuff in Scripture always cycles back and always circles back to that stuff that Jesus taught about mercy. So, Quan, oh, the chapter, what, what did you get out of it? What, what's, your, what's your takeaway? Uh, again, I think that when you talked about I think the constructive criticism portion is, while some of it does seem harsh, mm -hmm. again, if you look at the overlying message in it is that there's areas to change. And if you're a true follower of Christ, you understand that we always have room for growth. Yeah. And so coming to people and saying specifically, these are the things not only that make you better, but you know, being humble, not judging people, all of that also makes the church even stronger. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a matter of saying, hey, we're going to get better, but these are the things that we need to do. And so make sure everybody's on the same page. And that ties into here. So it says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And when yeah. you really open up your interlinear Bible and look up those words, and this, it'll change the way you view this, this passage. But like what you're talking about is we, we want to improve. We want to get better. But this, this whole idea is that we don't improve or get better in order to accomplish the favor of God. Right. That's, that's not why we improve or get better, why we stop sinning or why we start giving or whatever it is, the choices we make. Instead, we recognize that he is good, he is here, he is filled with grace right here, right now, and that's transformative. People who are loved are changed. And so you, you embrace the love of God, you humble yourself before him and let him do the work in you, and then you just go with the flow. It's, it's the difference between the one who's saying no, 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 and the one who's saying give me more, give me more.